So here we are. Um, we've been going through this series, uh, Intentional Prayer, and we've been asking a few questions that are making us a little bit uncomfortable, but also we've been going through 21 days of prayer and fasting. And as we're entering into this last stretch of it, I just want to know, has God been teaching you anything? Yes? Okay, good. Thank you for being responsive. That helped. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that we kind of want to be a little bit timid in it because we know that when God teaches us something that we have to obey. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with obedience. So if God has been teaching you something, I want you to, I want you to hold on to that. I want you to, to really take that in. But I wanted to ask a question as we started this morning. What has to be broken to be used? What has to be broken to be used? So some things that come to mind are things like an egg. An egg has to be broken to be used. A glow stick. A horse. And ground. So we had to break ground in order to construct something, or we had to break ground in order to plant something. So we've been looking at this intentional prayer, and we've been asking God to search me. God, God, would you search me? Would you lay me open bare? Would you show me the things in me that are against you? God, would you show me the things that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? God, would you show me those things that need to be refined by you? God, would you search me? And then beyond that, we ask, God, would you make me bold? God, would you, would you give me a courage to do what is right? Would you give me a courage to engage in those things that you have shown me about myself? God, would you give me courage to deal with the sin in my life? God, would you give me courage to deal with those places where I am not following you the way that I should? God, would you make me bold? And then last week, we asked, God, would you speak to me? God, would you speak to me and tell me those things that you need me to know? And we thought this was a little bit interesting because if we hear from God, we need to make sure it's from God. And God will never tell us anything that is contrary to what he says in his word. And so when we say, God, speak to me, we also have to follow up with, I'm listening. Because it's one thing to hear God, and it's a completely other thing thing to listen to God. So we ended with this, this prayer, God, would you search me? Would you make me bold and speak to me? I'm listening. So today what we're going to do is we're going to add probably one of the more difficult of these four so far. And the question that we're asking it's really not a question for people who are faint of heart. It's not for the people that really want to live in a casual kind of relationship with God. This, this question will cause issues in you. It's not for those that are just seeking comfort. And the question is this, God, will you open my heart so that I can be poured out for you? God, would you open my heart so that, so that, I, can, that I can just be poured out as an as a offering, as one that overflows into others? This is more than just asking God to see what is in our hearts. 
This is actually saying, God, now that I see what's in my heart, now that I understand what's going on in there, God, would you transform my heart? Would you transform me? And let me tell you straight up, transformation only comes through repentance. And that pouring out is a result of that transformation from repentance. So today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. So if you want to open up your Bibles and just have your finger in that place, that would be great. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. And this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote the letters to the church in Corinth. He's an apostle. That means that he saw Jesus face to face. And he's a church planter. He went all around the Mediterranean rim planting churches. He was a follower of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he first comes on the scene, he's actually in opposition to what happened as a result of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Paul was against the way. He was against those that were following after Jesus. And it took an interaction with the risen Christ for him to change everything about himself. So we see Paul come on the, the pages of Scripture in the book of Acts. And in, in Acts chapter 18, Paul actually plants this church in Corinth. And in this moment, Paul was paying his own way. He wasn't taking any money from those around him. In fact, he was a tent maker. He was, he was building things and selling them and paying for his own expenses. But as he writes to this church in Corinth, they've been going through some leadership issues. The church was ignoring some really big issues. Namely, the church did not address sin in their church. And beyond that, as they were interacting with Paul, they sort of looked down their noses at Paul because Paul wasn't like them. He was poor. He didn't dress the way that they thought he should. And apparently, Paul wasn't the most eloquent speaker. But see, Paul loved the church. He, in particular, loved the church in Corinth. And he desperately wanted, he desperately wanted more than anything to win their hearts and their minds. But something had to change. Something had to change. In fact, Paul refers to this painful visit this painful visit that he had with them, and, and as a result, he, it was weighing really heavy on him. And now this letter that we call 2 Corinthians, a lot of the scholars think this is actually 3 Corinthians, but we've somehow lost the other letter. There's some other letter that addressed some of these issues and laying it all out for them to understand but they couldn't get it right, and they weren't being unified. And Paul, he is speaking then to the ones who are on the fence, the ones that are being influenced by what's going on in the city, the ones that are being influenced by every bit of the culture that is raging around them. He's, he's talking directly to those that were struggling by uh, trying to figure out how does the words of the philosophers I follow match up with these words that Paul is giving me. Now, to put it in our own context, it would be, what do I do with the content and the, the options that the influencers in our society are saying about how I should be, what should be important to me, and what to do about it? The modern-day philosophers of social media, the modern-day philosophers of YouTube and TikTok, 
what do we do with that? The ones, he's talking to the ones that weren't sure. They weren't sure not only about the influence they were getting from the outside, but also they weren't sure about Paul. If Paul were the right guy, then, then how, how come I'm struggling in what he's saying? They're not sure about him. They're not sure about his authority. They're not sure about his pedigree. And above all that, they're truly not sure of his love for them. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 11, here's what he said. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And the we that he's referencing is his Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, we have spoken freely to you, and our heart is wide open. We didn't hold anything back, Paul says. Our heart is wide open. We were open with our hearts. We were open with our thoughts. We were open with our love for you. You were not restricted by us. We're not fencing you in. We're not closing you in. We're not saying that there is nothing that you can do outside of this. We're not trying to restrict your freedom. We're not trying to restrict your ability to discern and understand what what is right and what is wrong. But you are restricted, he said, in your own affections. You are making your life small on purpose. You've closed off your hearts. In return... I speak to you as children. I speak to you as those that are not as far along in the faith. Widen your hearts also. Open your hearts. It's as plain as he can say it. He says, open up your lives. Break open your hearts. Pour them out wide. And don't just seek your own comfort. Paul exhorts him. He says, make room in your hearts for us. And without a whole lot of engagement in what's going on, we see that this is a very uncomfortable situation. It's a very open and raw statement by Paul. He says, listen, my heart is open to you, but yours is closed. I want you to open your heart. Now, I've been a man long enough to know that when you say, hey, open your heart, I go, "Mm, no thanks right? Let's sit down knee to knee and look eye to eye and let's talk about our feelings. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But here we have Paul saying, let's sit knee to knee and eye to eye and I want you to know that I love you. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. You're a cool guy too. No, I love you you. He says, be open, be raw, be vulnerable. And he says, listen, we've wronged no one. We, we haven't done anything wrong. In fact, Paul is, is going to show them, I've asked God to search me. I've asked God to look inside me and see if there's anything that I've done. He says, we have corrupted no one. We have taken no one into a bad theology. We've taken no one into a place where they should be scared that they're not doing what God wants them to do. We have corrupted no one. We've acted with integrity. We're not taking advantage of people. We're not, we're not trying to just extort you for money. We've taken advantage of no one. 
He's telling them, listen, you guys, you are my ride or die. We've taken advantage of no one. You are my ride or die. We're leaning into this grace and mercy of Jesus. He's saying, listen, guys, I will go anywhere and I will do anything. In fact, as I am traveling all around the Mediterranean rim, I am thinking of you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I've got your back. No matter what, you have my support. You have my encouragement. You have it through whatever comes our way. Though death or anything that life throws at us. Paul's saying, listen, I want you to learn how to experience more. He continues, chapter 7, verse 4. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. Paul's saying, God, make me bold. He's addressing these issues that he sees going on in the church in Corinth. He's saying, I am acting with great boldness towards you, and I'm risking my relationship with you by saying these things. But first, let me say, I have great pride in you. And I'm filled with comfort because he believes that they will come through. He believes that they will do the right things, that they will stand up in the right places because the Holy Spirit at work in them will bring transformation. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Regardless of these issues, regardless of me needing to write you several letters about what's going on inside your body, Regardless of the issues, I'm overflowing with joy. But God, who comforts, comforts the, down, the downcast, he comforted us. Paul says, God, would you, would you speak to me? God, God would, you, would you bring me comfort through this difficulty? God, would you, would you bring us comfort? And the us he's talking about is he and Titus. He sought counsel from the Holy Spirit, and he navigated the issues of the church, and the us is he and Titus, and through their response to the visit in the letter, they were encouraged. Titus was encouraged as well. He says, listen, about this letter, you know that one, the one that kind of, well, it defined a lot of things, and I'm pretty sure it made you mad, But he said this, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, even if I made you feel grief, shame, or guilt, even if I made you grieve with my letter, this rebuke that I gave you on the issues, on the strife that's going on, on the hurtful opinions that are being tossed to and fro, it was from my heart being wide open to you Paul says, I don't regret it. But I did regret it. You ever been there? You ever open your mouth and say, say something that truly needed to be said, that was in truth and in love, but you weren't sure if the relationship could bear the weight of what you just said? You ever been there? Have you ever been on the giving end? Have you been on the receiving end? Paul says, 
I don't regret it, but I did regret it. But it was for your, joy, for your good, and this good brings me joy. He says, for I see that that letter, it grieved you. But my love for you was my motivation. And it grieved you, but it was only for a little while. And so from this passage of Scripture, we draw three characteristics of a heart that is wide open for others. A heart wide open for others is first motivated by love. Motivated by love. Conversation. And even ministries that are not born out of love, they don't bring joy. If we have a corrective conversation with somebody and it's not out of our overwhelming love for them, it just brings more divide, dissension, and hurt feelings. A real investment in others, a real investment in encouragement, a real investment, a gospel-focused investment in others brings accountability. It brings joy, and it all comes from a posture of love. A heart wide open also is built in community. And that's why we talk about being engaged in small groups. Now, we do small groups on Sunday mornings with our Sunday morning Bible classes. We do small groups in homes in the community. In fact, I'd say if you're not involved in a small group, You should be. And if you want to know how, you can talk to Morgan. Morgan will tell you exactly how you can be connected and committed to a small group. Because you need people that will walk with you through your life. Anyone that has ever felt alone knows that life is better when you have somebody walking with you. Life is better when you have somebody that's in your corner. Life is better when somebody knows what's going on. Life is better when somebody sees to you and holds you accountable. So we should be people that seek community and that we rely on one another for growth in Christ. The third thing about a heart wide open is that it is honest and it builds up. A heart wide open is, is honest, and it, and it has honesty for the, for the sole purpose of building someone up. Accountability and honesty so that we can spur one, along, one another along in faith and good deeds. So Paul continues. He says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. A grieved heart. A grieved heart will go, a broken heart will go one of two ways. It will go towards worldly grief, which is regret, or it will go towards godly grief, which is repentance. Paul said it this way, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly grief brings repentance, and it leads to joy. 
Godly grief says, listen, you are missing the mark at this point in your life, but I love you enough to tell you that you're missing the mark. I love you enough to tell you that if you keep going that direction, if you keep backing away from the body, it will cause harm to you. Godly grief leads to repentance, to restoration, to joy, to life. But worldly grief leads to death. It says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Leads to salvation without regret. Whereas a worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief is where we kind of sit in this thing, uh, and, and all we're really looking for, all we're really looking for is a little bit of relief from the guilt that we feel or the shame that is, is being heaped on us, or we just want out of a situation. But we really don't desire to change. So regret is this, I just want out, I regret that I took the loan, Right? I regret that I swiped right. Uh, okay, older people in here, here's what that means. <laughs> There's these dating apps and you can swipe left or swipe right. Left means nope, right means yep, and you connect. Really kind of weird, but anyway, it's just kind of the way it works now, right? It's that regret where you have no desire to change. So how then do we spot worldly grief in our hearts? Well, worldly grief comes usually in a time of crisis. It's where you play this game, okay, God, let's make a deal. Okay, I know that I shouldn't have bought that car. God, God, I know that I, that I shouldn't have, have made that horrible decision with my finances. God, I, I know that I should not have gone on that date. I know that I should not have said that in that meeting. So let's make a deal, God. Could you make it go away? Could you make it where, where it doesn't stick? God, God if, you, if you let me survive this crash... I promise. God, God, if you let me get out of the hospital, I, I promise things will be different. When we have a brush with death, when there's sickness, where there's a, a reality that we're going to have to pay the price, the consequence of our choice, brings this worldly grief. We have likely refused to believe in God at a certain point up until that crisis. There's all kinds of people that make these, these deals with God. But here's the thing. Once the crisis is over, the conversion is forgotten, and it's all over. Worldly grief also comes. It also comes out of external obligation. What does that look like? It looks like guilt attendance to church. You know, it is Christmas. Well, it is Easter. Listen, it's Mother's Day, and to make mom happy, right? 
That's why we donate sometimes out of guilt to charities or causes because we have this external feeling of obligation, but it's not real, and it's done when you pay your dues. My obligation to attend church is done once I go on Mother's Day and sit next to mom, and then we go out to lunch, and then I'm good for another year. It's done when we paid our dues. Another thing about worldly grief is it can be a form of manipulation. Telling the story, putting on a show, making it as though people's heartstrings are pulled, but you're just putting it out as a repentance of performance, of something to gain sympathy from others. It's saying, you know, I, I feel so bad. Oh, you shouldn't feel bad. Oh, but I feel so bad. Oh, but anyone in the same situation would have done much worse. They would have? Yeah. Oh, well, that makes me feel so much better. So then what does worldly or what does godly grief look like then? First of all, godly grief is authentic. It's real. It's actual real repentance. The thing about repentance is it's not just feeling bad about the things that you do. Anyone can feel bad about a bad choice or, or going in the wrong direction or saying the wrong things. But repentance, repentance means change. It means that I will make a determined effort to go away from doing those things that I have been doing. I will change, go in the opposite direction. And the thing about godly grief, it's authentic and it's real and it has repentance. And when it happens, you know it does. Because the tears, they're real. The emotion is real. Godly grief results in change. But godly grief comes from a heart that is humble. The words that are spoken are words of humility. It's not shifting blame. Oh God, I'm so sorry, but you know they made me do it. No, it lays all that stuff down. It drops pride. It drops arrogance. It drops everything. It says, God, I need a heart that is changed. God, I don't just feel remorse. God, I am repentant. I, God, I want this to change, and I want to be active in that change. It's not the religious, righteous acting type of, you know, God, I, I promise to do this because, well, that's what God, your word says, and I'll try to be better most days. And it's not the thought that God owes you something because you made a good choice. It's not the bargaining anymore. It's God. I know. I know that I can't do anything to change this. God, I know that I can't do anything to make me better. It comes from a heart that is broken, that's humble. And godly grief brings a real desire for change, for change that is real. 
for change that is evident in the people, the people that you know, they see it and they know there is something different. It's that turn away, it's that repentance, it's turning away from an old way into a new way. It's picking up something new and putting down what is old. And it brings in us real joy because it's a transformation that is not just spoken. It is a transformation that comes from our very core, from our heart. And the joy that you feel is real. It's the repentance that leads to life. Look this up later, Acts eleven eighteen. But this is the grief that Peter felt from his denial. It's that, that broken, wide open heart poured out, being restored by Jesus. His repentance, Peter's repentance led to restoration. Peter's repentance led to restoration and boldness and life. So when we pray, God, open my heart, God, would you open my heart so that I can be transformed, so that I can be transformed in a person that doesn't just say things, but instead I am transformed into a wholehearted, obedient follower of Jesus. Does that sound like too much? Does that sound like something that maybe we want to say that we want to be, but we have no idea how? So how then can I know? How can I know that if I've opened my heart, open my heart wide, you check the overflow. What is it that flows out of your heart? Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouths speak. A good check of overflow is what do you say? Do your words build? Do your words encourage? Do your words bring honor and glory to Jesus? They may do that here. What about at home? What about at work? What about when your team is losing? What's your default? What's the overflow of your heart. So how can I tell? It looks like a person that stands for what is right. We stand for what is right. We have an overflow of honesty and accountability and we stand for what is right and we say sin is sin and there's no way around it. All we can do is lay it down. Come to your heavenly Father because he is full of grace and mercy. In fact, he gives us grace upon grace, as John says. We can claim grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We can claim it, but grace comes through repentance. When we desire to not only stand up, but to do what is right. Overflow is action. It's doing what is right. It's engaging in the right things for the right reasons. It's not just speaking things out loud. It's teaching the right things to our children. It's embodying the right things in our relationships. 
but it's not out of this mechanical obedience to God. And it's not about a, a mechanical obedience to a certain Bible verse. It's because it's out of our gratefulness, our gratefulness to Jesus and our overwhelming desire to be transformed so that we become like him. We desire to do what's right and we have reverence then for God. We honor God with our lives. We honor God with our choices. We honor God with what we watch on television. We honor God with the things that we say when we're in traffic. It's an overflow of our hearts. The overflow of our hearts is worship to God. It's about honoring God, being transformed by him into the image of Christ. It looks like growing in passion. And that passion means that we have a desire for reconciliation with God and with others. It's the overflow of Christ's likeness. It comes out in love and reconciliation to one another. It builds a community of grace. It builds a community that strains towards transformation. So we add to our prayer this, this question, God, will you open my heart so I can be poured out for you? That I can be poured out like Peter. When the Holy Spirit filled him and he preached to the many at Pentecost and 3,000 believed in the gospel of Jesus because of the boldness of Peter that came from the overflow of a repentant heart, a heart that had been transformed into the likeness of Christ. So God, would you open my heart so that it would flow with love for others? So our prayer now becomes, God, will you search me? God, will you make me bold and speak to me because I'm listening? God, will you open my heart so that I can be poured out for you? Can you pray that prayer? I know you can read the words and I know you can speak the words, but can you pray that prayer? Being committed to asking these four questions. Being committed to these, asking these four questions and expecting God to answer. And being committed to the response of God. And being committed to follow through with what it is that he tells you. And what it is that you hear in obedience. If you can learn to pray this prayer and ask these questions to our Heavenly Father, it will change your life. So my question then is, what will stop you from praying this prayer? You know, pastor, it's just it's too much. I can give it to you on Sunday. But you don't know what my life is like. You're right. I don't. But what will stop you from praying this prayer? What will stop you? Is, is it because there's too much risk? Because something will have to change? For some, it means that you're really actually going to have to accept Christ as your Savior. For real. Not for fire insurance. 
not to get out of, of anything, with no agenda except for my heart is wide open to you. Lord, would you please use me? God, would you change me? We need to start there. We need to start and ensure that our relationship with Jesus is solid. That it wasn't out of a religious observance, but it was out of a heart change. Start there. Don't wait. Because joy will come through our brokenness. Maybe some of us in here just need to learn what it looks like to be poured out. We've been taking things in for so long, we've just become consumers. We consume everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm in that Bible study. I'm doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep. I'm in that prayer group. Yeah. I listen to this person on, on, uh, online, and I've listened to this one on the TV, and then, yeah, and when I'm driving, yeah, I, I listen, and I'm just getting poured in and poured in and poured in. But you're not pouring out. Maybe it's time to change that. How do you pour yourself out? You say, God, God, would you search me? Would you show me the places that I'm resistant to you? God, would you make me bold? Would you, would you make it to where I have the strength, the courage, and the, the desire to step out and say, here I am. Use me. God. you speak. Not just so that I know that you're here, but God, would you speak because I want to know what's most important to you. God, would you speak so that I can do your will, that I would listen and do your will. Because God, I want you to open my heart. I want to live a transformed life of repentance, loving others, being poured out for the sake of Jesus. Maybe that's what you need today. You need to either accept Jesus for real or you need to ask God to be poured out. Would you pray with me?